excited to hear what I'm going to talk about today. Some of you are going to say, oh, Dave, please, not another day of this. Well, I promise you, not a full day today. Just an hour about impeachment. I got to talk about it today because I personally think yesterday was a day that was nothing more than a big, big, big win for the president. I mean, a huge win uh, for the president. Everybody in the morning. What was fun is, is you, if you got to see it, see it in the morning after the Democrats questioned the, uh, the witnesses, they walked out for the break, for lunch break, and you could just see it in their eyes. We got him. We got him. He's dead in the water now. Then we came back for the afternoons, and by the time it was over, they all walked out. Their tail was firmly tucked between their legs. They looked like they... They've been scalded with kerosene. I tell you, yesterday was an all-day TV hate Trump fest, Dave. At the very beginning it was. By the time they got in the second half. Well, they barely wrapped it up in time for their uh, big candidates debate where they could all blame Trump for everything from uh, the price of tomatoes to dirt on the windowpane. Did you get to watch much of the afternoon? Uh, yeah, I listened I listened on and off to it as I could at work, Dave. And by the way, I, I've got to make an apology to your listeners. Now that you've spilled the beans and, and I've heard you on the radio earlier this week yeah. telling about some of your travails, i got to apologize to your listeners for, te- for telling them that you were actually at the Fortress of Solitude in the <laughs> North Pole conferring with Kellyanne Conway about the future of the nation. And uh, obviously that wasn't true, so well, I apologize to your the to your listeners. The future of the nation is fantastic. <clears throat> well, it's the way I see it. It's better now than it was in 2016, that's for yeah. certain. Let me just uh, here let me see what do I want to play for you first to talk about why I feel that uh, the president should be feeling really good about what happened uh, yesterday. Cuz you know, yesterday was Sondland's testimony. And he was the guy who actually talked to the president and worked with the administration and everything and supposedly he knew that the president was just you know all of that everything was conditioned on that was know, one the of ukrainians the, doing all of the investigation for the well, that was one of the few parts of the entire week that hadn't been just pure unadulterated hearsay well let me yeah well it was it was the first real witness yesterday it was the very <laughs> first real witness and, um, and I thought what he had to say kind of uh, deflated everything that the Democrats are trying to prove. That's what happened in the afternoon. I mean, when the Democrats walked out in the afternoon, it was like, oh, crap. We're in deep, deep doo-doo. Uh, Gordon Sondland was talking yesterday afternoon, and, and here was the big one. This was the first real big one to pop out. This is cut number 11. But I believe I just asked him an open-ended question, Mr. Chairman. What do you want from Ukraine? I keep hearing all these different ideas and theories and this and that. What do you want? And it was a very short, abrupt conversation. He was not in a good mood. 
and he just said, I want nothing. I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. Tell Zelensky to do the right thing. Something to that effect. What? What did he do? Play that again. What did the president tell Sondland? But I believe I just asked him an open-ended question, Mr. Chairman. What do you want from Ukraine? I keep hearing all these different ideas and theories and this and that. What do you want? And it was a very short, abrupt conversation. He was not in a good mood. And he just said, I want nothing. I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. You want what? Tell Zelensky to do the right thing. You want Something what? to that effect. You want nothing? You want no quid quo 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 Or you want nothing from the president of the Ukraine? You don't want any of that? I thought that's exactly what everybody has been saying that the president did want. Well, Dave, what you're witnessing here is just a classic example of the double standard that's been applied to everything in Washington these days. Nothing that I can tell that Trump has done. I mean, he may have he may have said some things awkwardly or not followed traditional channels or modes of speaking, and certainly there's plenty to criticize there if you want to nitpick. But as far as his actual actions, don't seem to me to be in any significant way different from the actions of past Democrat presidents. What what Democrat president has ever been called to question for dismissing an ambassador and replacing a different ambassador, especially if he's dismissing an ambassador appointed by his predecessor and putting his own person in place? What what Democrat president has ever been criticized for that in the history of the republic? You shouldn't be. That's the president's prerogative. That's what the president has in his authority to do Absolutely. to appoint ambassadors and and i think that it's it all comes down pretty much to all these and you know some people's eyes will roll when you talk about the deep state but there's no doubt that there are are thousands of people working for the government that have a vested interest in the government working the way they want it to work because it's their gravy train that's, that's why, right that's why something like 10 of the 12 richest counties in the united states are the ones that abut the district of columbia those people are down there living high on the hog making good money off the taxpayers and by golly they think they're running things they think things should be done their way and it essentially comes down to policy differences. They're trying to impeach the president because people in the deep state and the Democrats don't like his policies. They don't like him. Orange man bad. <laughs> you know, e- evil, evil, evil. So we must impeach. And they've been, they've been on the same note since the day he walked down the golden escalator. You know, it, it's, we've got to stop him. Then we can't stop him. Well, now we've got to impeach him. And so it's been impeachment from day one, from hour one. From number day number one, from the day he took the oath. It wasn't 20 minutes later before Democrats were talking about impeaching That's the guy. Right. And, and they've been searching for an excuse to... And everything that they've tried has has kind of been a bust. You know, they spent two and a half years trying to convince the American people he was a Russian spy. Yeah. Well, if he was a Russian spy, how come he's done more to thwart Russia's ambitions in the Ukraine than Obama ever did? If he's a Russian spy, how come he did more to thwart the Russians in Syria than Obama ever did? If he's a Russian spy, why did he do more to thwart the Russians' ally Iran than Obama ever did? It makes no sense unless you view it through the prison of pure bile-filled partisanship that's become the norm in, in, in our governing institutions these days. Okay, so I just played uh, played Sondland <coughs> in his testimony 
uh, talking about. President didn't tell him he wanted anything. He wanted Zelensky to do what he should do that he ran on, and no prid quo uh, pro, all right? None of that. Zip. Nada. So you're talking about looking at the president through, you know, partisan eyes. How about Kamala Harris last night at the Democrat debate when she had this to say? Cut number two. I understand you are a potential juror in this case as a United States senator, but you're also a prosecutor. As you listen to the evidence, is there any doubt in your mind that President Trump has committed an impeachable offense here? We have not yet, the American people have not yet been presented with anything that that is evidence-based that causes any question about what happened. I mean, we've got a confession. It happened in plain sight. And then Sondland's testimony yesterday was basically, you know, all the president's men. I mean, he he said, you know, everyone was in the loop. And um, so I think it gets worse and worse for the president, frankly. And we'll see how this all ends up. Obviously, the process is still unfolding. But at this point, I think that, you know, we have been presented with a lot of information that tells us that this president um, has committed impeachable offenses and really shouldn't be in office. How? Where's the proof? She she even mentioned that we haven't seen any real proof. Yeah, she kind of did a U-turn in the middle of her. She sure did. But, I, you know, this woman has not particularly distinguished herself by the intelligence of her discourse during the occasions when she's been on TV as a result of this campaign. But, you know, I know it's all politics and it's not really a criminal trial, but still it, the the question was presented to her and she accepted the question that on the basis that she was going to be a juror in the trial if the impeachment takes place. If the, if the, the impeachment's like an indictment and the Senate trial is the trial. And every one of those senators that were on that stage, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, did I miss any? There may be others I've forgotten. But those are the big ones. But everyone that's... Uh, Buttigieg is a mayor, so he's yeah. not. But the the senators that were on that stage last night yeah. have all shown that they are unqualified to be jurors in the trial of Donald J. Trump because they've all shown enormous prejudice against him before the evidence is even presented. Now, what jury is going to ever render a fair verdict when a significant number of them go in already convinced that the defendant must be guilty and must be found guilty before the door is ever open Mm -hmm. to the courtroom. So they they should, if it was really a trial and really a jury, they disqualified themselves. The unfairness of it is is palpable. All right. So one more piece here before we go to a caller. Caller wants to talk to us from down in uh, Hot Springs. Kurt Volker testified yesterday morning and uh, he talked about quid pro quo, bribery, and even extortion. And here's what he had to say about all three of those. That's cut number 17. Uh, Mr. Zeldin asked you in the deposition that in, in no way, shape, or form, in either readouts from the United States or Ukraine, did you receive any indication whatsoever for anything that resembled a, a quid pro quo. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, and the same would, would go for this new... Um, allegation of bribery 
I, I've only seen an allegation of bribery in the okay. last week. It's the same common set of facts. It's just instead of quid pro quo, now it's bribery. I, I was never involved in anything that I considered to be bribery at all. Okay, or, or extortion. Or extortion. Okay. Oh, goodness, really? None of them. Volker said, I, no. None of it. Zero. Nada. Okay, but he was, you know, one of those guys that was getting his information third and fourth hand. And you know where his where it all leads back to? Sondland. They all were listening to Sondland. And even Sondland yesterday, just over and over and over again, said that, uh, no, I didn't, you know, we don't have any proof of it. This is just They've what all just I, got feelings. Yeah, we just they got have feelings. Intuitions. That's right. And you guess what? That's not admissible in court. If that goes over, if this does go to the Senate, the chief justice of the Supreme Court is going to sit as judge when they bring all the charges against the president, and he's not going to pay any attention to hearsay or I thought or I felt. He's going to say, where's the emails? Where's the text? Where's the written proof? that any of this occurred. And guess what? There is none. Nobody's produced anything yet. It, and I, Look, if they had the smoking gun, it had already been brought out. Oh, yeah. It would already be there. They'd, they'd have led with that on day one. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's go down to Hot Springs. Jim is there. What's up, Jim? Hey, Dave. I'm getting around again. Good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just wanted point out one thing you a military man your blood should be just literally boiling over volker uh, the lieutenant colonel because he just walked headlong away from uh chain of command with all of what he's been saying and running his mouth about you know i mean he's got a general ahead of him and a colonel full bird colonel over him so you know why did he go to those people uh and, and you know he's acting like the commander-in-chief is not his commander-in-chief, that kind of thing. And all the rest of those people, they they have proven beyond any shadow of any doubt they don't deserve the job that they've got because they're they're useless. You know, I mean, they they can't answer. They don't know anything about any of the stuff that, you know, is going on, CrowdStrike, uh, any of the steel dossier, those, those kind of things. They don't know anything about any of that. Uh, uh, anything Cl- Clinton did, you know, the the pay for play, the, you know, none of that. They don't know anything about any of that. But uh, but they know all about Donald Trump. You know, uh, they don't need a job, and we're paying these people. You know, oh, yeah. paying them. Well, you'd think you if the president of the United States got elected, that he would have the right to have a White House staffed by people who didn't hate his guts. You would think so. Exactly. And one, and one other little note on a side thing that's a little bit different from this. Uh, I don't know who's in charge of your show at night, your replay, but uh, they're leaving dead air when uh, the show goes off when you go to commercial. They just leave a dead air out there. Okay. And, uh, and they're also running like Two or three segments of your show from weeks in the past 
you know, and they try to, you know, I mean, I can understand the repeat of the day, but uh, while you were gone, they've run the Bible guys twice with uh, your buddy that's sitting in there with you. You know, I, I enjoy the show and I listen to it, but I just, you know, I think they need to do a little bit uh, better. Okay. Well, some Dave just has to age a little bit before you can really appreciate it. <laughs> Jim, yeah. well, I, I, I enjoy the replay because there's a lot of it that I miss out here rolling up and down the road. And, like, now I'm done for the day, and I'm fixing to go home or go in, and, and I won't get to listen to the rest of the show. So well, I'll pick it up in the morning. All right. Well, we appreciate you doing that. Thank you very much, Jim. Appreciate your input as well. You know, Zach's sitting over there listening because, you know, he he puts a lot of that together. So he'll take that hey, to I'm, heart. I'm I'm praying for you, uh, Dave, because my wife had a pick line put in her neck because she got meningitis. Hmm. And she I know all about what you're going through having to do the IV, uh, uh, you know, uh, antibiotics. It, yep. It, it, I'm praying for you, buddy. I appreciate that, Jim. Thanks so much, and be careful out on the highways. Let's get our first break in. we got to do that. Carl Kimball is here, and it's fun having Carl on. We don't get to very often just sit here and talk politics. Well, we, we, we got a chance now. Yeah, we talk a lot about history and things of that nature, and we're going to bring that to bear on what's going on in, in our current times as well. All that, just to tell you, stick with me. i got a lot more for you to hear before we get to the end of today's show on the Dave Ellswick Show. Okay, so last night, the Democrats got back together again to try to prove who was the most stupid on the stage. It was a tough contest. It was. It was a tough contest. It's hard. It really is. So I, I picked If Kamala's out, not leading, she's certainly challenging. Oh, I, look, I picked up a couple of them from last night. They're just too good to pass up. How about, let's start off with Bernie Sanders, all right? Here's what Bernie Sanders had to say last night. Cut number three. Talked about the need to make climate change a national emergency. I've introduced legislation to just do that. Now, I disagree with the thrust of the original question. Because your question has said, what are we going to do in decades? We don't have decades. But the scientists are telling us that we don't get our act together within the next eight or nine years. We're talking about cities all over the world, major cities going underwater. We're talking about increased drought, talking about increased extreme weather disturbances. The United Nations is telling us that in the years to come, there are going to be hundreds of millions of climate refugees causing national security issues all over the world. What we have got to do tonight, and I will do as president, is to tell the fossil fuel industry that their short-term profits are not more important than the future of this planet. And by the way, the fossil fuel industry is probably criminally liable because they have lied and lied and lied when they had the evidence that their carbon products were destroying the planet, and maybe we should think about prosecuting them as well. Thank you, Senator Sanders. You know, the only reason... I like to hear him talk is because every time he talks, I see the cartoon character of the aardvark. You remember the aardvark? No, I don't. Okay, pull that up for us, would you, Zach, off of uh, YouTube? 
pick up something that's got the aardvark talking. I'm telling you. It's Jackie <laughs> Mason who did oh. the aardvark. But yeah, they sound they Mason. sound exactly the same. It is unbelievable. When you find it, just let me know, Zach, if, and we'll play some. If you put if you put Bernie Sanders side by side with uh, uh, Larry David no. pretending to be, uh, you, you couldn't tell which one was which. Just yeah. about he does such a good. Of course, I guess that, that Brooklyn accent comes natural to Larry. I guess. But. Okay, let's do the news, and then we'll come back. <laughs> Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. It's this one. Okay, and fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, uh, it wouldn't be nice. Uh, this one. That is not Bernie Sanders. Tough neighborhood. That is the aardvark. With my finely tuned old buddy Bernie there, who's wild-eyed and crazy as they come. But what do you expect from a guy who thought the Soviet Union was a good place to honeymoon? I mean, you know, the guy's obviously got a strange sense of humor. But we've been hearing this eight or nine years. We got scientists have told us we've only got eight or nine years before. Well, I've been hearing that since I was in college that we've only got eight or nine years before the planet is doomed if we don't adopt usually when it's, i was it's in a, high school socialism we were the doomed, bottom line we were doomed by global cool global warming you know wintering is yeah well, in, in, the, in the 70s they told us that if we didn't adopt socialism we were all going to die from global cooling mm-hmm. in the 80s we were told in the 90s we were told that we were all going to die in 10 years because of global warming if we didn't adopt socialism and then when both of those fell through now they say oh, we're going to all change. die from climate change that's if we right. don't but it all comes down to we got to adopt socialism that's right and it's all a scare tactic and this eight or nine years is just a big load of bull crap and if he's got scientists who are actually telling him that they're bull crapping him because they want to keep the government grants coming in nobody's getting the government grant for saying that the climate's not a crisis i hate to tell the senator this but he has a better chance of falling over by a heart attack than he does from global warming well that's that's obviously true that's nearly happened but the guy is the guy is is trying to manipulate us with scare tactics like it's been done again and again. It's a typical socialist move to say we're all going to die. You know, the truth is that even if the climate increases in warmth on the globe as much as the the so-called climate scientists say it is it's still not going to be as warm as it was a thousand years ago. And we didn't all die a thousand years ago. Mankind prospered. Because during periods of global warming, and it warms and it cools and it warms and Grow it cools. Grow more crops. And, and when it warms, you get better agriculture. Yep. You, get, you get an increase in quality of life for humans. If you live on the coast, you might have to move if you're in a low-lying place a on the coast. A little inland. But, but for mankind as a whole, the great majority of mankind is better off in warmer climes than in cooler climes. That's just, that's just a fact, a demonstrable fact. Just take a so look he, at the difference between the South now and uh, the North in the past. The northern cities were the big cities. Then they came up with air conditioning, so you could stay cool. The, that changed everything down and there. And all the big cities now are in the South. 
Yeah, at least until the, at least until we uh, until we stop you know having electricity because we go by wind and solar yeah, we won't true. be able to, we won't be able to keep our air conditioning running with wind and solar. Maybe, so maybe you know, that has we'll all have to, to move back to the north perhaps. But but my point is that that we're not all going to die if the temperature goes up one degree in the next fifty years. We're not all going to die. And uh, anybody that's telling you that we have to adopt socialism or some kind of big government scheme to save the planet is just trying to scare you into voting for somebody come that on, doesn't have your best interests Come on, interest Carl. Get with heart. the program. Yeah, I'm having a tough time with that. I really am. And, I mean, and, I, and why would Barack Obama have bought a multi-million dollar mansion right on the seacoast on Martha's Vineyard if he believed that the oceans were going to rise? Unless he thought his personal magnetism was going to hold the ocean level down just around Martha's Vineyard <laughs> only. Exactly it'll be kind of, it'll it'll be kind of like a bowl in the ocean as the waters rise. But the sheer magnetism of Barack's personality will keep the waves away from his mansion on Martha's Vineyard. Okay, but look, uh, Senator <laughs> Senator Sanders is not the only one no, of these people cr- talking crazy. crazy stuff. There's Elizabeth Warren. You know, the, of course... Focahontas? Yeah, Focahontas. Or, or, or even better, I like Liawatha. Yeah, that's even better because she lies about everything. And she talked uh, about... Medicare for all. And wait till you hear this one. Let's hear from Elizabeth Warren. Cut number four. Let's talk about Medicare for all. Senator Warren, you are running on Medicare for all. Democrats have been winning elections even in red states with a very different message on health care, protecting Obamacare. Democrats are divided on this issue. What do you say to voters who are worried that your position on Medicare for all could cost you critical votes in the general election? So I look out and I see tens of millions of Americans who are struggling to pay their medical bills. 37 million people who decided not to have a prescription filled because they just can't afford it. People who didn't take the test the doctor recommended because they just can't afford it. So here is my plan. Let's bring as many people in and get as much help to the American people as we can as fast as we can. On day one, as president, I will do uh, bring down the cost of prescription drugs on things like insulin and EpiPens. That's going to save tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars for people. I'm going to defend the Affordable Care Act from the sabotage of the Trump administration. And in the first 100 days, I'm going to bring in 135 million people into Medicare for all at no cost to them. Everybody under the age of 18, everybody who has a family of four income less than $50,000, I'm going to lower the age of Medicare to 50 and expand Medicare coverage to include vision and dental and long-term care. And then in the third year, when people have had a chance to feel it and taste it and live with it, we're going to vote and we're going to want Medicare for all. Wow, because there'll be nothing else that you can have. That's why. Uh, yeah, it's going to taste like an old gym sock that's been laying <laughs> in the back of the locker is what it's going to taste like. I, you know, I, I, I would think that American people can watch somebody 
just blatantly lie like yeah, that and how, figure it how out. How gullible are we? I mean, the magic college professor is going to come out and wave her magic wand and billions and billions of dollars are going to appear from nowhere and everyone will be able to get everything they want and it won't cost them a dime and all you got to do is vote for me and I'll set you free. That's right. Vote for me and I'll set you free. Then she went on. You... I can't wait to talk about this one because <laughs> the government tried this one time and it did not work. And uh, if you don't remember your history, I'm going to remind you about your history. This is cut number <coughs> seven with Senator Think of Warren. it this way. Our housing problem in America is a problem on the supply side. And that means that the federal government stopped building new housing a long time ago, affordable housing. Also, private developers, they've gone up to the mansions. They're not building the little two-bedroom, one-bath house that I grew up in, garage converted to be a bedroom for my three brothers. So I've got a plan for 3.2 million new housing units in America. Those are housing units for working families, for the working poor, for the poor poor, for seniors who want to age in place, for people with disabilities, for people who are coming back from being incarcerated. It's about tenants' rights, but there's one more piece. Housing is how we build wealth in America. The federal government has subsidized the purchase of housing for decades for white people and has said for black people, you're cut out of the deal. That was known as redlining. When I built a housing plan, it's not only a housing plan about building new units. It's a housing plan about addressing what is wrong about government-sponsored discrimination, how we need to address it, and we need to say we're going to reverse it. Thank you, Senator. I... I never thought I would see the day that this particular item would be discussed the way she is discussing it right now. Because names just go through my my head, and I grew up close to Chicago. And the one that really goes through my man in my head is Caprini Green. I wondered if you were going to mention that. Caprini yeah, Green what, uh, was that, built that's, by that's the government. That's what government housing is like. That's she exactly acted right. like, like it was the government that built all those little two-bedroom houses it's that families like hers grew up in. Uh, sure, there's a problem now with a lack of affordable housing, but you know, the government, usually local governments like New York City, like California, uh, and uh, places that put in rent controls, that causes housing shortages. Uh, you get people like, like uh, that late congressman uh, from Harlem who had like three rent-controlled apartments, but you're not supposed to have but one, and you're not supposed to. It's supposed to be uh, on a basis of need. Was that but, Powell? Uh, yeah, well, he, him too, but no, the uh, uh, I'm metal block there. The guy's yeah, gone. We'll figure it out. The guy's gone now, but it, it used to be the congressman from Harlem. I think he actually, I think he followed Adam Clayton Powell and was okay. there for forty years, and uh, he had multiple rent controlled apartments. They have terrible housing shortages all over California because California laws are antithetical to the private market building housing, and and she says the answer to that is for the government to come in and handle it we'll all be living in cabrini greens uh, the woman's list of lies is almost hard to pull apart she told so many in such a short period of time that was really if you know anything or even if you just grew up in the late 60s and early 70s you know how big a piece of crap what she just tried to perpetuate on total, people is total malarkey 
I mean, seriously. I, I, I mean, no American who's been paying attention and has lived anywhere near as long as you and me can listen to that without it just stunning us that someone could expect the American people to be so naive as to believe the load of garbage that she's shoveling out. But she's smart. She's from Harvard. Yeah. Dave, mm. did you see the National Review that I left for you uh, when I was here last week? No, I did not. I'd, I'd left an issue, a National Review here, because I thought it was I'm, – I'm pretty sure I left it here because uh, I'd had it up here one day when I was guest hosting. And she was the cover of it. It was their Elizabeth Warren issue oh, wow. of National Review. And they had various people picked apart I can only various imagine. aspects I of her. I can only oh, imagine. It was, it, was, it was dozens and dozens of pages of, of, of how insane this woman is. And the cover of it was a picture, a cartoon of her with her scolding finger, oh, yeah. and and uh, the name on the cover, the big, the blurb on the cover was she has a wretched plan for that. <laughs> because course. you know they say that she's got a plan for everything. Yes, she does. She does, and every one of them is a wretched plan that will make things worse. Everything is a callback. To the to the past, it's back to the future. Well, like when she Just talked like, about uh, redlining, the fire sign theater. Redlining has been against the law in this country for over fifty years. Over fifty years. Yeah, it's called redlining when you don't let people of a certain color be able to get my, a uh, you know be able to go out and buy a house. My favorite living historian, Victor Davis Hanson, had a column. I think it was in today's Democrat Gazette, in, in which he talks about about uh, her housing plan, and she says that, and he mentions this business about the uh, uh, redlining as an excuse, and he said, you know that. If she's going to have a plan, she ought to not be basing it on maps from the 1930s because the the people that were discriminated against no longer live in those redlined areas. Those redlined areas have, have changed as the times have changed, right, and, and she's out of out of touch. Her Marxist ideas went out of style decades ago. Yeah, I did. And, and Carl, here's the problem, though, is that the youth of america if you said redlining they don't have a clue what you're talking about because they're not talking about it yeah that's the problem they the the you can't blame the young for being young and not having had the experiences that we've had to go through that's correct but the problem is that nobody's teaching them that's correct and and nobody's teaching them that socialism is not only bad and wrong it's evil Socialism undermines everything that our country was founded on. We're founded on a concept of of individual liberties granted from God that the government is obliged to protect, not that we have at the government's forbearance. And everything about socialism, it completely turns that concept on its head. It's like, you know, you can say you want socialism if you want to, but don't pretend to be an American while you're doing it. Because this country is not founded that's, on those principles. That's the antithesis to what we do here in this country. Like Mark Twain said, it's not American. It's not un-American. It's French. <laughs> I love that. Hadn't heard that one. That's good. That's very good. All right. When we come back, let's hear from Booker and see what he had to say about Joe Biden. And then we're going to hear from uh, Klobuchar of Minnesota and what she had to say about People registering to vote.
particular people registering to vote. And by the way, that person we're trying to think of, Charles Rangel. Rangel, yes, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Senior moment. Yes. He, yeah, good old Charlie Rangel. He and Powell both. And, and he also he also had a resort in the uh, Dominican Republic, too. He made out pretty well in his it's congressional. It's some money. Yeah, where do you make that money? Not not from congressional It's the salary. same thing I always asked about Arafat. Where yeah. do you make his money at? We know contributions. We, from, yeah, if you to check it out, that's right. Absolutely. A break. More coming your way. Dave Ellswick show. Yeah. All right, back here on the Dave Ellswick show. Got us seven minutes left here in this hour. I still got more stuff to play. This has been the last few days. Zach for us has been like just a plethora of excitement to play about what these people really believe okay so booker went after joe biden listen to what he went after him about here on uh, the dave ellswick show cut number five uh for for the vice president he is uh, swore me into my office as a hero this week i hear him literally say that i don't think we should legalize marijuana i i i, I thought you might have been high when you said it <laughs> and, is already legal for privileged people. And it's one the war on drugs has been a war on black and brown people. And so let me just let me just say this. With more African Americans under criminal supervision in America than all the slaves since 1850, do not roll up into communities and not talk directly to issues that are going to relate to the liberation of children because there are people in Congress right now that admit to smoking marijuana while there are people, our kids are in jail right now for those drug crimes. And so these are the kind of issues that mean a lot to our community. And if we don't have somebody authentically, we lost the last election. Let me just give you this data example. We lost in, in Wisconsin because of a massive diminution, a lot of reasons, but there was a massive diminution in the African-American American vote. We need to have someone that can inspire, as Kamala said, to inspire African Americans to the polls at Thank you, Senator Booker. All right. So he went after Biden for not being for the legalization. I don't know if Biden was high when he said it, but I think Booker was high when he heard it. Yeah, evidently it might be the case (laughs) as far as that. Then uh, Amy Klobuchar had her moment in the spotlight, and she wanted to talk about voting ages. She says we should allow every kid in the country to register to vote when they turn 18. Now, I'm going to give her credit. We we were talking off the air about this. And you said, well, I'm surprised she didn't take 16 the way that uh, Pelosi Nancy, has been yeah, doing. Nancy wanted 16. She wanted 16. So let's hear what uh, Amy Klobuchar had to say. I'm someone that uh, doesn't come from money, and I appreciate the work of Mr. Steyer. Uh, But right now, we have a system that's not fair, and it's not just fair for money. And so what I would do is start a constitutional amendment and pass it to overturn Citizens United. That's what we should do so that we stop this dark money and outside money from coming into our politics. I have led the way on uh, voting, and I can tell you right now, one solution that would make a huge difference in this state would be allow every kid in the country to register to vote when they turn 18. If we had a system like this and we did something about gerrymandering and we stopped the voting purges and we did something significant um, about making sure we don't have money in politics from the outside, Stacey Abrams would be governor of this state right now. Thank you. That's what should have happened. So while 
I appreciate his work. I am someone that doesn't come from money. I see my husband out there. My first Senate race, I literally called everyone I knew and I set what is still an all-time Senate record. Thank I raised $17,000 from ex-boyfriends. <laughs> and I'd like to point out, it is can not I, an expanding base. So I don't just think this with my head. I, I feel thank it you. in my heart. Thank you, Senator right, so Klobuchar. Amy, that's uh, Klobuchar. She's a, by the way, she's a senator. Yeah, she's one of the yeah she's one of the uh, jurors who's already made up her mind. Yes, absolutely. Well, as is Booker, as that, is Harris, it, as is isn't Sanders. Isn't it already legal for eighteen-year-olds to register? To I vote? thought it was. It's a, it, it's actually been changed in the federal level. It's a constitutional amendment. Isn't My it? first, I voted when I was eighteen. I was yeah, the I, first group of. People uh, and, that, that, and that's the difference in our age, because the first election after the uh, time that they passed the constitutional amendment to make the voting age 18, that next election, I turned 21. So it didn't make any difference to me. But I remember very well that they made it legal for all 18-year-olds. That was 1971, I think. Yep, because, 1971. Because, because in the 72 election, when I was able to vote for a fellow uh, historian and World War II bomber pilot, uh, crazy McGovern. McGovern. Uh, we, we thought he was left wing back then, but boy, he was nothing compared to the left wingers right we had now, on the stage be, last he'd night. He'd be moderate. Yeah, relatively at speaking. To, at least to the left, he would. Be. But I was young and dumb enough that that you know he appealed, and he wanted to stop the Vietnam War, and that meant something to me at the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, that that was a time that we made it legal for all eighteen year olds. So what's she talking about? She wants to force us to uh, register them it automatically, like so that to we can force go, them to so that we can vote. go through the rolls and record their votes, whether they want to take the time to walk out the door and pull a lever or not. She wants to be able to count their votes. Why should, they, remember, why should they not have their vote counted just because they're too lazy or they don't care I enough to bother I remember in 1972 vote. when I was talking to my friends uh, in college, and I was saying, well, who are you going to vote for? You know, you're, you know you're, you're legal now to vote. Yeah, <laughs> That's the answer. Yeah, They didn't care. They still don't care. I'm just telling you. They're the, the smallest group that appear uh, to vote. When there's election. Every four years, the Democrats put, pin their hopes on the youth vote coming out and They never show. Them. All right, a break. Let's take a break. Carl Kimball is my special guest host today. We got a lot more to talk about, about impeachment when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Dave Ellswick Show. Hope you enjoyed that little trip we took listening to, you know, uh, Sanders and Warren and Booker and Klobuchar and all the rest. I mean, look, Klobuchar went into the whole thing about, you know, they're they're cleaning up the voting rolls. Well, thank God for that. Look, I grew up outside of Chicago. I can tell you about voting rolls and how they needed to be cleaned up for decades. People... 
were going to the polls that had been dead for 20 and 30 years. You remember, uh, was it Ratatouille? Or the, or the, no, it wasn't Ratatouille. It was one with Fievel, one of the Disney cartoons where the, the immigrant mice That's are the coming American, to America. American an American one. tale. Yeah, that was American what it was. Tale, when the, yeah. when, the, when the, the political boss says, oh, too bad, he died before he even got a chance to vote. Yeah. Well, he can vote now. Yeah, yeah. That's the truth. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's the truth. And that that's the difference between a good uh, cartoon uh, that uh, speaks to adults as well as children mm-hmm. and uh, a cartoon that's directed directly at children. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not as good usually. Yeah, not, not, at least not as broad an audience. No, yeah, it's fun to watch some cartoons with your kids because but, they're aimed at both of you. But, I mean, that's what Klobuchar talked about. You know, she's – can we play a hat piece again with Amy Klobuchar? Play that again. I'm someone that comes, uh, doesn't come from money, and I appreciate the work of Mr. Steyer. Uh, but right now, we have a system that's not fair, and it's not just fair for money. And so what I would do is start a constitutional amendment and pass it to overturn Citizens United. That's what we should do so that we stop this dark money and outside money from coming into our politics. I have led the way on uh, voting, and I can tell you right now, one solution that would make a huge difference in this state would be allow every Every kid in the country to register to vote when they turn 18. If we had a system like this and we did something about gerrymandering and we stopped the voting purges and we did something significant um, about making sure we don't have money in politics from the outside, Stacey Abrams would be governor of this state right now. Thank you. That's what should have happened. So while I appreciate his work, I am someone that doesn't come from money. I see my husband out there. My first Senate race, I literally called everyone I knew and I said what is still in all time Senate record. I raised $17,000 from ex-boyfriends. And I'd like to point out it is not an expanding base. So I don't just think this with my head. I feel it in my heart. Thank you, Senator Klobuchar. You look at her beauty just like you did Bella Abzug, Mm -hmm. and you can understand why she only got $17,000. You know, I'm thinking thinking that some of those guys probably paid her just to stay away. Maybe it may may have been the case. Gerrymandering as though it's only occurred in the last few years you got to be this is going back you got to do your homework you've got to learn your history gerrymandering's been going on uh, before the civil war well it's named for elbridge jerry who was i think the fourth vice president of the united states uh one of the vice presidents of uh thomas jefferson if i recall correctly but elbridge jerry when he was governor of massachusetts drew a congressional district to benefit his side that was said to look like a salamander. And there was a political cartoon of the state of Massachusetts with a congressional district in the shape of a salamander. And it was called the gerrymander after Elbridge Jerry, then governor of Massachusetts. Now, wait, there was a governor in Arkansas that was over top of redistricting here in the state of Arkansas, and they had one that looked like a finger being given to us. <laughs> you remember that? Uh, that was discussed and then discarded, if I recall correctly. Yes. But yeah, I do remember that. That was not too long ago. No, and that's the key that I'm trying to make. It's been going on forever. Well, she's I, talking uh, as though it's only done by Republicans. 
But some of the things that she was talking about were just just outrageous and false. I mean, oh yeah, that that lady, the black lady, would have won the the, that, that, the, the governorship. That is just like them saying that Michael Brown was murdered by a cop in whatever that suburb of St. Louis is, Ferguson, Ferguson, Missouri. Yeah, that 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 one of the candidates. I'm trying to remember which one now, but it was one of the leading candidates. I, I I want to say it was Warren, but it was one of the leading female senator candidates said recently that Michael Brown was murdered by a cop in Ferguson, Illinois. She just said it as if it was a fact. Yep. And and what Amy Klobuchar said about Stacey Abrams would be the governor, blah, blah, blah. That was just that was equally dishonest. The woman lost the election. But Democrats can't ever get over it when they lose an election. They don't think that that God should ever allow them to ever take a loss. And if they take a loss, it must be something evil's happened that's got to be undone. And they're still being soreheads about a, a, a close election they lost. Whereas when you get a close election, they count the ballots, they recount the ballots, they recount the ballots, and then lo and, and behold, then they check. They, they even look at the chat. A new box of ballots that came from the most left-leaning county in the state and all of a sudden the democrats over the top instead of barely behind and now we can stop counting that's right now it's time to stop we're not going to count anymore aren't you willing to accept the results of this election we're not going to sit and look at chad's i don't have my glasses with me right now if i had my glasses i'd hold them up like this and you're 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 wearing them dave am i wearing them they're they're okay here does this look familiar (laughs) to you on down facebook live Does that look familiar to you back in uh, 2000? <coughs> Looking at the hanging chads. Oh. Up there, back there in uh, in, in uh, Florida. You, we, we remember well, and, that. And, and, That's uh, so hard to remember since that. Since then, and I don't know, maybe you'd count it from the Clinton impeachment instead of it, but certainly from, from the 2000 election, there's been such grave polarization in our country. It's not like I have an idea how to run the country. You have an idea how to run the country. We both want the best for the country. Let's see whose ideas are best and trying to convince the American people to give us a chance to put our ideas into effect. Yeah. It's, it's, the other side is evil. They're wrong in the worst ways. And, and nothing can be allowed to stand in the way of stopping the evil of the other side. On And it's and poisoned and destroyed our civil discourse. Hasn't, doesn't it interest you also that Klobuchar brought up, you know, uh, dark money and we need to get the money out of politics and all this other stuff. And when you talk about uh, Citizens United, you're talking about corporations giving money. Yeah. Can't have corporations giving money, not, but you can have, you know, the uh, the unions giving money. It's always a one-sided deal. They want to stop the Republicans' big donors, but they don't want to stop their own big donors whose interests are just— Of course and not. The union, the union's interest is just as biased and just as one-sided as the corporations. Yeah. But uh, it's more of that hypocrisy. You know, if it wasn't for double standards, they'd have no standards at all. And sadly, uh, when you want to talk to the people that their life has become defined by hating the bad orange man— that they can't be persuaded. No amount of truth, no facts, no reason, no logic is going to change their mind. It's all just orange man bad. Hate him. Got to do something. Got to get him. Got to get rid of him. Yeah, and, and whether and we do it legally as, or not, that doesn't matter. That's as far as the discussion goes for an awful lot of people. 
You know, I'm looking at the drink you got from Wendy's, and it's got a 50 on it. Is this their 50th anniversary this year? It may be. Let's see. 50 years ago would be 1969. Wow. That's right. So they started when I was in high school. Yeah. About that time. I like those. I I mean, I like Wendy's burgers. If I had my choice, there is one hamburger chain that we need here in Little Rock. Whataburger. Nah. Nah. Uh, Sizes and everything. White Castle. Oh, jeez. The people I went to college with called those rectum rockets. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) That's right. You know, we used to call them fart rockets as well. But I'm just telling you, there ain't nothing like... a greasy little onion burger on a dinner roll. Walking into your local White Castle, and they've got like 50 of them on the grill, smothered in onions... And you yeah, order, all oniony. give me a big old bag of those those puppies, and, and they I'm ser- ready. And they didn't serve them on, on hamburger buns. They served them on dinner rolls. That's right, just about that size. It was yeah. the original slider. They were good. They still are good. Well, first thing, I, well, I go visit like my brother. and oniony. When I go up to visit my brother, and uh, I get to Terre Haute, I come into Indiana, hit Terre Haute, the first thing that I do, stop at White Castle. Last time I was passing through Terre Haute, I had to get off the freeway and stop because it was raining so hard I couldn't see two car lengths in front of me. <laughs> Terre Haute, Indiana, the last stopping place of Timothy McVeigh. And uh, a place that is renowned, as I'm sure you know, for its dirt track racing. Yes, of course. Indianapolis is known for that, too. They got one of the yeah, well, dirt tracks yeah, you, around. You didn't, you didn't get to go to the big track at Indianapolis until, you, until you, you, you proved yourself at places like Terre Haute and, and uh, El Dorado, Ohio. And, it used to be, if you wanted to be in the Indy 500, you better be a good dirt track racer first. Because mm-hmm. that's where they went and That's got where there. they came from they up got, until... Did Up until the '60s, when when some of those when some of those Formula One guys came over here and started kicking butt, and all yeah. of a sudden it became much more fashionable to have guys that were uh, experienced at the road courses. Did you notice uh, that uh, uh, the Georges sold the Indy 500 and the track as well? I, I heard Penske. something about that. Who owns it now? Pinsky's Pinsky bought it. Bought it. Yeah. Well, he's owned it for close to fifty years anyway. He's been winning it a lot. We'll say it, we'll he, say that much. He's been an entrant since nineteen sixty nine, and he's won it since nineteen seventy two. Was his first victory with uh, the great Mark Donahue. Uh, whom I was just reading about this week. He was uh, the driver of the Porsche 91730 that put an end to the Can-Am series by crushing all opposition in sight. So did you go to – have you ever been to the, five, to the, to the, to the track at I'm, Speedway? I, I Actually, I watched A.J. Foyt win his fourth race in 1977. Okay. And I was at an IndyCar race at Mid-Ohio in 19 I – mean, excuse me, in 2000. And seven, I was at a, a mid-Ohio IndyCar race, and Foyt had a static display of that same car that won the 77 race was there because it was the uh, 30th anniversary of his fourth victory. I mean, I was, and so he had that car out on display. It was a Coyote with the big front-end spoiler. Yes. I was there when uh, Andy Granatelli ran the big turbine. Oh, man, that was a heartbreaking story. That was heartbreaking. He came close, so close to victory. Cigar. 
Close. So close. Eight, that was when A.J. Foyt got his third was when, yeah. when the original Whooshmobile broke down with 10 miles to go because of a $4 bearing That's that what gave it was. out in the transmission. Never forget that. And I remember the big argument. They shouldn't allow those type of cars to run in Indy because the regular engines can't keep up with them. The yeah. next year, they had no problem. <laughs> yeah, well, and they yeah they had uh, one more year of the of the uh, turbine cars, and uh, they really came with a much better. They came they came with Lotus the next year. They had Lotus wedge cars with uh, the turbine engine, but they had mechanical problems with them, and and uh, even Graham Hill uh, was not able to wring any success from the Lotus turbine, and I think that was seventy one. So when I say Andy mm-hmm. Granatelli. What's the first thing that pops into your head? Mario Andretti. Okay. Winning the Indy 500 in 1969. Something else pops in my head. STP. Of course. That's the other. That was the uh, sponsor on the Hawk, the Braun Hawk. Uh, I think that was a Ford-engined car, I think, that Mario got his one Indy 500 win in, and Andy was his sponsor that year. I'll tell everybody who's listening right now, if you have any inkling of wanting to know more about open-wheel racing, you have to go to the Indy 500 track in Speedway, Indiana, which is right outside of Indianapolis. It's actually kind of in the middle, isn't yeah. it? It's kind of sur- like K-Mac Village is yeah, surrounded, surrounded by, by Indianapolis Indy. all and around. you go in there, and first thing that hits you is when you get there, you go, God, I never believed this place was this big. Because you watch it on television, and television makes it look small. It's two and a half miles long. It's a long track. But you get in there, make sure you go to the museum. Oh, that museum's do not, amazing. Do not miss the museum there at the Indy 500. They got 500. the first Indy 500 winner, Ray Haroon's Marmon Wasp. It's incredible. It is really and right up to, to the see. most uh, recent ones. Yeah, it's fantastic. They got one for for each year of, yeah. of the five hundred, but it's going to be so weird now that the George family is not involved with the five hundred. They've done so well at keeping the history of that race. Yeah, what I, it I, is. I, I've got know, kind pure. of a little bit of a personal grudge though, because I feel kind of like Tony George was responsible for killing what I thought was the best racing series in the world, and the I'm championship gonna, auto racing teams. Because when he took his ball and went that. home, yeah. he said, ah, if you won't let me run championship auto racing teams, I'm going to start a separate competing series. And the separate competing series would have been nothing except for the Indy 500. But the sure. Indy 500 was such a huge percentage of the sponsor draw that they ended up killing off what was a fantastic series. Because Cart... And, and now, of course, Cart's been subsumed. The best teams have all come into the Indy Racing Leagues, and, and they finally have taken over the most of the good tracks that they lost. But they race places like Mid-Ohio and Laguna Seca and Road America, the greatest racetracks in North America. And, and they ran road courses. They ran short ovals. They ran super speedways. They ran airport courses. They ran city street courses, just about everything but dirt tracks. Uh, in the championship auto racing team series. And you had to be good all around to be a champ in that. Well, yeah, because the tracks were, every track was completely different. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, of course, in 93, you had something that had never happened before. You had the sitting, uh, the current, 
Formula One world champion, quit Formula One, came to America to run Indy cars, and he won back-to-back championships. He won, um, Nigel Mansell won the F1 championship in 92, and then he won the IndyCar championship in 93, and he came within a half a lap of winning the Indy 500 that year. Yeah, well, I was at WIBC. We were the flagship station for the Indy 500. We were the, the, the broadcast started with us, and that's I got to know some good people from that, and one of the great ones that I got to know was, was Emerson Phil Pauly. Oh, what a nice man. He's a great—he was in a tremendous I, I, racer. He made a lot of Indianans mad at him, though, when he drank orange juice instead of milk in Victory Lane. That was in 89. Bad, when he be- bad move. Well, it was, it was you know, the sponsors. Of, he, he owned Orange Grove, so he was, he was pumping, you know, yeah. his sponsor rather than the Indy 500 sponsor. But that, that's the only time I know of that, that they didn't have the winner drink milk in Victory Lane was when Fittipaldi won it. He drank orange juice Man, instead. I would have gone out and got, like, you know, old Kentucky or somebody like that so I could be <laughs> drinking straight bourbon if I won. <laughs> well, you know, in the in, in the earliest auto races back in the 1890s, it was mostly in France in those days, the, they, the drivers would drink champagne during the pit stops. One thing that I could probably agree with a Frenchman on, <laughs> just to be honest. All right, break. Let's get our break in. Come back. We'll have a few minutes to talk at this uh, to the bottom of the hour. we got uh, more impeachment stuff for you. I'm going to bring it all to you when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. They're still going on in the impeachment. Evidently, they've taken a break because uh, Congressman Jim Jordan was just talking. He has now walked out of the uh, Hall of Monuments. Going somewhere. You've been to the Capitol, right? Yes, that place is one of the most acoustically interesting spots uh, in the country. It's a place designed. you could stand and just whisper and hear and you be somebody anywhere. clear well, on was, the other side. It was the original Senate chamber, if I recall yes. correctly, before they built the big one onto the edge of it is now, and then they changed that to Statuary Hall. And we've replaced our statues that uh, we have a right we got, to what, Johnny Cash and who? Um, I know the ones they took out were George Rose, the guy that founded the Rose Law Firm, and um, somebody else I'd never heard of. Yeah. Now, they put John, they put Johnny Cash in there. Who else did they put in? I'm trying to think about that. I, now that we bring it up, I remember it was two. And I, I bet it's not Hillary. <laughs> I think you're probably right about that. <laughs> think you're about right about that i'm good with johnny cash okay so when we come back we're going to get news up here in just a moment we'll give you 60 seconds of the big big uh, uh things that have been going on the uh open public hearings are done for this week how good. long they're going to last good we riddance. don't know but uh, here's the key if they have another day like they had yesterday afternoon uh don't be surprised if the uh, democrats try to figure out a way of dumping out of this because it's not working I a, for them yeah i got a story that i'm going to give everybody when we come back and i can it's, hardly it's wait it's important to talk about because they better be minding your p's and q's or it's going to work just the way robert steinbach and i have been talking about the democrats are going to lose the house and the white house in the next election pray god yeah let's talk about impeachment and 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 what uh the um 
Democrats are, are trying to do. Uh, yesterday, there was a story. I'm looking for it right now so I can basically pull from it. Here it is right here. This is from The Hill. Not a bastion of conservative thought by Hardly. any stretch of the imagination. Now, we've been going at this impeachment inquiry now, these public uh, you know, uh, meetings that are being seen on TV, well on now six weeks, if I'm not mistaken. President Trump now leads all of the top 2020 Democratic White House hopefuls in a theoretical matchup in Wisconsin. Former Vice President Biden, Senator Sanders, Warren, South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, all trail Trump in Wisconsin, according to the new Marquette Law School poll. So that's the opposite of what they've been telling us for the last year. Well, the last, uh, last month, all of those candidates, except Buttigieg, beat Trump. Trump topped Biden 47-44. Trump also holds a three-point edge over Sanders in Wisconsin, 48-45. to Trump lead is wider against Warren now, 48-43, to and Buttigieg 47-39. The results come as the House impeachment inquiry against Trump unfolds. I think you need to take all of those polls with a pretty huge grain of salt. Because I know that a lot of the president's supporters are going to do exactly what I do when someone calls them trying to poll them. And that's just just let it slide, not even talk to them. Uh, I wouldn't waste my time talking to a pollster. He's not going to do anything that's going to help me. He's not really going to do anything to enlighten the public and the actual situation. And uh, an awful lot of Trump voters, I think, are people that are not going to answer polls. But here's what's so I'd add several points to anything that yeah, they come up for with. For Trump. Yeah, here's what's absolutely. In, what's interesting about this is that's the first poll, now that this has been going on with the mm-hmm. Democrats, and we're seeing it's going against them. Yeah, well, and I wonder, it, will this be the last week of this? Because they're looking at internal polling that says that they're having a positive effect for the Democrats in the election in November of next year. Or are they seeing the opposite, which means time to put the brakes on. Okay, Dave, you're, you're, you're an old guy like me almost, so you'll remember this. Picture on one hand Sam Irvin. Yeah. Who is a, a senator? I mean, he was a, a congressman from North Carolina, I think. Yeah. Well, Sam Irvin was chairman of the Watergate committee. Yes, he was. Picture how he, what his demeanor was, how he came across, how the American people saw him. He was an avuncular, kindly old man who treated. Republicans Everybody as well as Democrats with respect. with respect. Yes, he did. Hey, compare him to Adam Schiff. And and uh, what kind of, shift. yeah, what kind of an impression <laughs> is shift making on the American people? Every time I see the guy, I, I just you know the bile rises in the back of my throat. The guy's just it's, he doesn't come across as anything but a small-minded, petty, vindictive, completely dishonest politician. That's not the way Sam Irvin came across. No, uh, during the Watergate committee hearings. 
they actually had actual evidence come out against Nixon. Mm-hmm. And and when it did, you had Republicans turn against them. That's when they walked to 1600 Pennsylvania. Yeah, and, and, and they, they did that because the, the impeachment vote was inevitable. And because the evidence against him was strong, the Republican senators weren't about to flush their entire party down the toilet by trying to hold on to him. This is an entirely different situation. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. I think that shifty shift has done his party no favors by his demeanor, by the way he's come across. He just he just comes across to me as just blatantly dishonest. All right, so let's go back to hear what some different people like Ratcliffe, who I've been very, very impressed with, and Senator Graham have been saying, and then listen to what Schiff has to say. So let's start off with cut number 13. Here's Ratcliffe and what he had to say about bribery. The longest time this was all about quid pro quo, according to the whistleblower complaint. But after witness after witness began saying there was no quid pro quo or even that quid pro quo was not even possible, we saw a shift from the Democrats. They briefly started to refer to the president's conduct on the July 25th call as extortion. And now it shifted again last week to bribery. Ms. Williams, um, you used the word unusual to describe the president's uh, call last, uh, on July 25th. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman used the word inappropriate and proper. Now, I've word searched each of your transcripts, and the word bribery or bribe doesn't appear anywhere in that. Ms. Williams, you didn't, you've never used the word bribery or bribe to uh, explain President Trump's conduct, correct? No, sir. Colonel Vindman, you haven't either. That is correct. The problem is, in an impeachment inquiry that the Speaker of the House says is all about bribery, where bribery is the impeachable offense, no witness has used the word bribery to describe President Trump's conduct. None of them. All right. Radcliffe from Texas, Republican from Texas, making a very strong point there. None of you are saying that there's bribery. Is that true? That's true. All right. So what did Senator Lindsey Graham have to say about all of this? Let's, uh, I think that's cut number 14, if I'm not mistaken. Here's the, the allegation now, I think, is bribery. Isn't that the new term we're using? Here's the question. Who did the president bribe and what did he get for it? Be specific. I think bribery is a made-up political charge without any factual basis. The president of the Ukraine, who represents the government of the Ukraine, says the president never put any pressure on him or ever talked to him about investigating Hunter Biden or Joe Biden in return for military aid. Uh, And they weren't investigated, and the money flowed. So nothing's changed from that point of view. All right. And Senator Graham. No bribery, right? He's changed a lot since the death of his good friend. Yes, hasn't he? he has. He, he, he he's, 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 been, a lot. he's been very strong in, in defense of conservatism in the days since. Okay, so we heard from Graham. We heard from Ratcliffe. We've heard from some of the witnesses, uh, Vinman, and I forget what the woman's name was that was there at that time as well. Now, let's hear what Adam Schiff has to say. This is cut number nine. 
campaign was a basic quid pro quo. Uh, it was the conditioning of official acts for something of great value to the president, these political investigations. It goes right to the heart of the issue of bribery, uh, as well as other potential uh, high crimes or misdemeanors. But we also have heard for the first time that knowledge of this scheme was pervasive. The Secretary of State was aware of it. Uh, the Acting Chief of Staff Mulvaney was aware of it. And of course, at the very top, Donald Trump, through his personal lawyer and others, was implementing it. Uh, and so this, I think, only goes to underscore just how significant the president's obstruction of this investigation has been. Um, we now can see the veneer has been torn away just why Secretary Pompeo and President Donald Trump do not want any of these documents provided to Congress because apparently they show, as Ambassador Sondland has testified, that the knowledge of this scheme to condition official acts, a White House meeting and $400 million in security assistance to an ally at war with Russia, was conditioned on political favors the president wanted. All right. Now, did if, any if, of these guys complain about the Ukraine not getting aid under Obama? Well, well, but here's the thing, Colonel. Everything that he just said was disproven in testimony. It's a tissue yesterday of afternoon. Yes, when the tissue is torn away, what I see is a party that says, "How dare you investigate my corruption? I'll impeach you for it." Yeah. Uh, the guy that got the money, his name was Biden. If anybody thinks Hunter that, Biden, that if, if anybody thinks that the son of the former vice president who was kicked out of the Navy for drug use is a meth head, never held a real job. If, if anybody thinks he was getting eighty three thousand dollars a month to be on the board of an energy company when he's got zero energy experience and doesn't even speak the language of or have any knowledge of the country in which it was taking place. If anybody thinks that that money was being paid to him for any other reason than as a sop to the vice president to keep the American uh, Obama administration on their side, I can't imagine how naive you must be. All right. When we come back, I'll play Sondland again from yesterday. Uh, dealing with, remember, the Democrats' argument is that uh, the meetings for the Ukrainian president was all dependent upon uh, doing exactly what the president asked him to do. And uh, then we'll, or there was a quid pro quo that was uh, going on at that time. And I'm going to play something from Sondalin on that. And what else do I have from Sondland? I got some other stuff. Uh, he he talked about what they were asked to do did not appear to be wrong. We'll hear that from him as well. You, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, this stuff you haven't heard, uh, unless you just sat down and watched uh, the, the hearings. We've been good about pulling this. And then I'm going to play what the president had to say yesterday about uh, the hearings as well. All that's coming your way as we continue. Carl Kimball, Dave Ellswick, right here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, let me set this up. I'm going to play three cuts for you, all of them from Sondland, all of them from Foreign Ambassador, and uh, all of the things that he'll talk about uh, that Adam Schiff says that the president is guilty of, he'll say didn't happen. 
Start with cut 10. Here we go. President Trump never told me directly that the aid was conditioned on the meetings. The only thing we got directly from Giuliani was that the Burisma in 2016 elections were conditioned on the White House meeting. The aid was my own personal, uh, you know, guess based again on your analogy, two plus two equals four. So you didn't talk to President Trump when Ambassador Taylor says that that's what you told him? Is that your testimony here? My testimony is I never heard from President Trump that aid was conditioned on an announcement of elections. So you never heard those specific words? Correct. Right, but never heard those words. But I believe I just asked him an open-ended question, Mr. Chairman. What do you want from Ukraine? I keep hearing all these different ideas and theories and this and that. What do you want? And it was a very short, abrupt conversation. He was not in a good mood. And he just said, I want nothing. I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. Tell Zelensky to do the right thing. Something to that effect. So we followed the president's orders. Second... Although we disagreed with the need to involve Mr. Giuliani, at the time, we did not believe that his role was improper. As I previously testified, if I had known of all of Mr. Giuliani's dealings or his associations with individuals, some of whom are now under criminal indictment, I personally would not have acquiesced to his participation. Still, Given what we knew at the time, what we were asked to do did not appear to be wrong. Third, let me say, precisely because we did not think that we were engaging in improper behavior, we made every effort to ensure that the relevant decision makers at the National Security Council and the State Department knew the important details of our efforts. The suggestion that we were engaged in some irregular or rogue diplomacy is absolutely false. I have now identified certain State Department emails and messages that provide contemporaneous support for my view. These emails show that the leadership of the State Department the National Security Council, and the White House were all informed about the Ukraine efforts from May 23, 2019 until the security aid was released on September 11, 2019. Okay, so everything Adam Schiff said, just throw it to the side. Sunderland just, yeah, he just, he just blew it all out of the water. And there's more. I could play six or seven cuts more that we've played over the course of this week from Volcker and everybody else that says everything that Adam, that Adam Schiff says is uh, BS. You know, we could debate the wisdom of him using Rudy Giuliani or whether Giuliani has covered himself with glory or the opposite during all of this business. But as far as whether the president can use somebody outside of the State Department as a personal envoy, that's been happening since George Washington. And and if the State Department's full of guys who hate his guts, wish Hillary had won, and are trying to run a rogue 
foreign policy that's against what he wants to do, why wouldn't he put somebody that he trusts in charge of dealing with foreign governments rather than going through a, a, a bureaucracy that's been shown to be anti-Trump? At, at the very least, anti-Trump and anti-the American people's choice. The American people don't get to overrule the State Department. We're the only ones who know that. This, Guy, uh, that lieutenant colonel that was up there yesterday, Volker. and the bunch of them, uh, um, uh, Venman, I think it was. Oh, Venman, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, Don't call me Mr. Call me Lieutenant Colonel. All right, Lieutenant Colonel Dickwad. <laughs> glad to have you on the stand here today. But, you know, you don't get to call the shots in American foreign policy. It's not your decision. And just because you don't like the guy doesn't mean that you get to be part of some fake trumped up. Uh, attempt to try and get him kicked out of office. Okay, so what is the president thinking about all this? He was in uh, Austin, Texas yesterday, I believe, at an Apple facility where Mm -hmm. they're going to start making Apple phones. And he talked about the whole impeachment inquiry. And, you know, of course, he's keeping up with it, and his people are keeping up with it. When you have the main witness that the Democrats come forth and they say— uh, there was no quid pro quo. There was no bribery. There, there wasn't any of this. Here's what the president said about it. This is cut number eight. Uh, I'm going to go very quickly, just a quick comment on what's going on in terms of testimony with Ambassador Sondland. And I just noticed one thing, and I would say that means it's all over. What do you want from Ukraine? He asks me, screaming, what do you want from Ukraine? I keep hearing all these different ideas and theories. This is Ambassador Sondland speaking to me. Just happened. To which I turned off the television. What do you want from Ukraine? I keep hearing all these different ideas and theories. What do you want? What do you want? It was a very short and abrupt conversation that he had with me. They said he was not in a good mood. I'm always in a good mood. I don't know what that is. He just said, now he's talking about what my response. So he's going, what do you want? What do you want? I hear all these theories. What do you want? Right? And now here's my response that he gave. Just gave. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? I want nothing. That's what I want from Ukraine. That's what I said. I want nothing. I said it twice. So he goes, he asked me the question, what do you want? I keep hearing all these things. What do you want? He finally gets me. I don't know him very well. I have not spoken to him much. This is not a man I know well. Seems like a nice guy, though. But I don't know him well. He was with other candidates. He actually supported other candidates. Not me. Came in late. But here's my response. Now, if you weren't fake news, you'd cover it properly. I say to the ambassador in response, I want nothing. I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. Tell Zelensky, President Zelensky, to do the right thing. So here's my answer. I want nothing. I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. Tell Zelensky to do the right thing. Then he says, this is the final word from the President of the United States. I want nothing. 
Thank you, folks. Have a good time. I'm going to Texas. Okay. I mean, the president, to say that he was aggressive there, understatement. But yeah. rightly so. The whole impeachment process has been a whole lot of nothing. That's right. It's a nothing burger, just like the Russiagate thing turned out to be yeah. a nothing burger. And that I, fell through, so now they go for Steinbeck right now would be going crazy. He hates going me to say nothing burger, but that's exactly, <laughs> exactly uh, what it was. You sticking around or are you moving out this last hour? I'm moving out. You're moving out. Thanks for having me, Dave. It was a pleasure to be with you today. When we come back into the next hour, my first thing I want to talk about is my congratulations to Joe Biden on being a grandfather once again. We'll talk about that. <laughs> we'll talk about that when we come back here on the Dave Ellsworth Show. Thank you, Carl, for coming Thank you, in Dave. today. watching this latest political ad coming out from the Republican Party about what Democrats have been saying about our president since he was elected. Pretty strong in how they said uh, early on, within the first couple of weeks, we need to impeach this president. I mean, we, we of course... And because I've played it, we've got it stored somewhere. I won't ask Zach to go find it right now. But we've got Congressman Green of Houston saying that, you know, we got to impeach him because he'll get reelected. I mean, we can go on and on and on and play this stuff. And I'm not going to to overplay the, the, the material that we have. Just know this. It's very, very, very clear where the Democrats sit and where the Republicans sit. And since the Democrats don't have one shred of evidence, they have no evidence whatsoever besides hearsay and, of course, well, that's kind of just the way I saw it, you know. that That's the way that I supposed that it was going down uh, when you look at Sondland. Uh, you look at all of that and you go, how— how can you, you couldn't find a person guilty of anything, much less bribery or extortion, 
or treason. I mean, all of those words have been thrown out about this president because you don't have any evidence. And when this goes before the Senate, because I, I firmly believe that Schiff and Green and a lot of the other House members, Maxine Waters, you know, the, the, the real nut job left that has enough uh, power to direct the House in what they do because they need their votes to get pieces of legislation done, that Nancy Pelosi is willing to just throw her career away because after this year she doesn't want to be Speaker anymore. I think the bottom line is, you know, they're going to fall on their sword right in front of us. They're going to fall on their sword. And uh, well and good because falling on their sword... Uh, very well could turn the House back to us, uh, definitely would still hold the Senate and hold the White House. Uh, hopefully, uh, the change will be enough uh, in, the, in the House that the Republicans will have a strong, uh, strong majority. And what do the, the, the Republicans have? They've got witness after witness after witness now that have said, we never heard the president say, you know, he wanted a quid uh, pro quo. Uh, we never heard anybody ask for a bribe. It was bribery. There was nothing there to support the allegation that was being perpetuated that uh, Zelensky would never have a meeting with the president unless he did specific things. And when, in fact, None of those things happened when he had the meeting with the president. So bottom line, uh, I, I'm going to just tell you right now that if you're one of the left that believes that the president is guilty of all of this, it is not because you believe in facts. It's because you hate the president that much. You just hate the president. You don't like him. You don't like what he's trying to do in our country. You don't like how things are being uh, turned and directed in our country. That's all. You you just hate this administration for what they're up to, and you want to get rid of them no matter what. And if that means you got to lie to the American public, you're going to do it. And I feel sorry for you. Just be honest. I feel sorry for you. Look, I was a Republican with Nixon, and I still I believe that Nixon was guilty and he needed to go. Uh, of course, senators went up to the to the uh, the White House and told him he had to resign or he was going to be impeached, and he chose resignation over impeachment, uh, and not just impeachment from the House side, from the Senate as well. He was going to find be you know, found guilty, and they were going to remove him from office, and you know, rightly so. There were some real crimes that took place during that uh, those hearings, and that came out. Was it small potatoes that started it? Yes, it was small potatoes that started it. You know, it was the plumbers that got it all started. But here's the key. They tried to cover everything up. Here's the key with the GOP this time. There's nothing there to cover up because there's nothing there to cover up. And that's, uh, you know, you got to keep that in mind. So uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see if they continue uh, the hearings here in the near future or if the Democrats going to say, going to fold their tent and say we've, We've presented this information. I know that the Senate is going to hold some hearings as well. 
Uh, and I, those are going to get really interesting because the Senate uh, very well may call back many of these exact same people that have sat in front of the House and said a lot of things that suddenly they bet if they're lying, which I think some of them are. You know what my daddy always told me from when I was a kid? Don't lie because if you lie, you got to remember the lie that you said, and then you have to use a lie to cover that lie up. And when push comes to shove at the end, you'll tell so many lies, you won't be able to remember what was a lie and what was the truth. And you'll get caught in your own web of lies. And that, uh, I, mean, I think that's what's happening with the Democrats right now. Uh, they better pack their bags and call it quits. Uh, while they're so somewhat ahead because it's just starting to work against them. In Wisconsin, uh, the Democrats, supposedly, all the Democrats were ahead of the president. Now they're all behind the president in the polls uh, for running for president. Uh, remember that when Wisconsin went for the president, everybody said, historic, it would never happen again right now. Uh, they're saying if the, if the vote was taken, yeah, it, the exact same thing would happen uh, to... Uh, uh, the Democrats, they would lose the state of Wisconsin. Wisconsin is not by any stretch the uh, uh, obvious, you know, looking at uh, that it's uh, a red state. It's not even purple. It's pretty blue, to be honest. Some of the rural areas are real red, but most of the urban areas, Milwaukee, Madison, those areas are very, very red. So... Just keep watching this. We'll know what's going to happen now. They're going, I guess, did they say that they were taking a, a break to go back to their to their districts, I think, that they said here next week? If that's the case, they're all going to go out and start talking about this, and they're going to hear from their constituents. And if their constituents are like, where's the case? You know, where are you? how are you going to make this stick? And they can't give an answer on that? Don't expect that they come back, you know, leaping and joyful like uh, little little uh, uh, lambs out in the field somewhere, all happy and and ready to go. I would ex- expect. I I don't know how they could get out of it of hate, having to take a vote on impeachment to do this. I don't know if they can do that or not. Uh, that's going to be up to Nancy Pelosi as Speaker talking to the left uh, in her party because they're the ones that are driving this narrative that you're watching. You know, uh, Cortez, Maxine Waters, Schiff, and all of the rest of them all have been against Trump from the very beginning. From the very beginning. Remember, I keep reminding you that on the day that the president was inaugurated, One of the headlines in the Washington Post was, and now the impeachment can begin. Maxine Waters has been calling for impeachment since the very beginning, as is Congressman Green and all the rest. They've been after the president. They haven't been able to hang anything on him because there's nothing to hang on him. There's no evidence. And you're going to have to have evidence if you take and push this into a trial in the Senate. All right, got to take a break. We'll do that. We come back. I got another story for you. This one dealing with 
a female student, breaks down in tears as the school board grants boys access to the girls' locker room. And says the writer, Matt Walsh, this is simply evil. We'll talk about it as we continue the Dave Ellswick Show here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, let me get into this story about uh, Palatine High School in Palatine, Illinois. Uh, It's a story we've been covering for over two years. It started under the Obama administration. You'll remember uh, that they made it necessary if there was a student that was a transgendered student that they should be able uh, to allow boys uh, that identify as girls into bathrooms and locker rooms with girls. The school tried to strike a compromise inviting the gender-confused males into girl-designated areas but setting aside a separate private area for them to use. That wasn't good enough. Uh, Manday, the Nova Manday, who's the biological male who identifies as transgender female, was not happy with this compromise. He demanded access not just to the girls' locker room, but to the exact same area where the girls change. His basic human rights are apparently violated in some kind of horrific fashion if he's not able to actually see girls get naked and himself get naked in front of them. All right, that's his argument. The school board found that his deranged arguments were convincing, and now every girl in the school must shut up and cooperate as biological males invade their private spaces. If you need any help in understanding that, uh, I suggest that you go to uh, dailyherald.com and watch the video on this. And you'll see Manday talk about it. You'll see a young lady talk about it by name of uh, Julia Burka uh, talking about this as well. The contrast between their two reactions is stark. In fact, even if you don't need help understanding why this is crazy, even if you weren't taught in high school or junior high that there's boys and there's girls and they both look different when they don't have their clothes off, which proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're a boy or you're a girl, uh, you take a look at this. Uh, you'll understand completely why each uh, the side of these boys who are identifying as girls is completely nuts. So uh, Mandy, who sports a queen T-shirt and long pink hair, celebrates the decision of the 5-2 to two vote by this, the school board. He says he is ecstatic, calling the new policy a great step forward. Naturally, however, he does complain that it doesn't go quite far enough, though he doesn't say what far enough is. Uh, It's not everything we wanted, he says, but it's a first step towards many more steps. Hear that clearly, that there's more to this than just uh, being able to go into girls' locker room and change your clothes in front of girls. There's more to this somehow. 
the, the tenor changes dramatically with Julie's reaction, her voice shaking and tears in her eyes. She says she's uncomfortable that her privacy is uh, being invaded. She explained that she's a swimmer and therefore has to get changed multiple times, you know, start naked in front of the other students in the locker room. Now, I don't know how many of you were in sports, but even when you're with your same, you know, with your, with boys or with your with uh, girls, and I'm going to assume girls because I've never been in a girls' locker room, but getting naked in front of a bunch of guys can be just as tough, I think, as women getting naked in front of other women. And there's a lot of reasons for it. Some boys are more developed than other boys, you know. Some guys have hair in places that other boys don't have hair in places. Some boys have a, a you know, a good muscular build. Others don't. They're thin and they they don't uh, they don't look real uh, masculine, so to speak. And it's very very tough. It's it's tough to walk into the shower. And the lather up and and take your shower. I knew guys in school when I was in high school that would go to gym class and it was the first class of the day. They wouldn't shower because they felt so uncomfortable with it. And uh, they just get, get dressed and go. And if they got caught, they got in trouble. You were expected to go in and, and shower, do it and be done with it. And it caused problems for some people. Now, take that and now put the other sex involved in it, which you're already completely confused about the other sex, you know, and how to deal with the girls and the girls, how to deal with boys. And you've already been uh, conditioned that that's wrong to do by probably your parents. So uh, this is a, a much more complex problem than just boys and and girls and it's a complete you know it's not really all that complicated when it's boys and girls it's a black and white right versus wrong good good versus bad uh type issue uh, you have two competing claims to weigh in this on one side the claims and concerns of a very small handful of gender confused males who would prefer to change with girls because it would make them feel more like girls, even though they are not girls. On the other side, the claims and concerns of the girls in the school who just want a private place to get changed and use the toilet. I mean, you got to throw that into the mix as well. One side is demanding that the whole system be reworked for their sake and that the privacy of every girl in the school be abolished in the process. Notice nowhere in this has girls using boys' facilities come up yet. That'll happen. I'll I'll let you know that's going to happen. The other side is not trying to impose anything on anyone. It's not asking for any special accommodation of any kind. It's not asking for anything unreasonable. It's not even demanding that gender-confused boys get changed with other boys. They can use private stalls. 
They can work out any other arrangement they want. All this site asks is that their private areas, the areas where they are in the most vulnerable and exposed state, remain private. There is no contest here. The scales are tipped 100% in favor of the girls. At the very least, if you support forcing scared and humiliated young girls to change in front of boys, please do not pretend to care about women's rights, especially women's privacy rights. And please do not ever sermonize about dangers of rape culture or patriarchy. You're willing to put a girl's safety at risk and expose her to the shame and embarrassment of changing in front of the boys all for the sake of the LB, uh, LGBT agenda. So you're really just nothing more than an enemy of women. That's what you are. You're an enemy of women, not a supporter. And at least you should be honest about that. So I hope, you know, this has got to stop somewhere. I don't know where it's going to stop. Don't understand uh, how it's gotten to where it is or why uh, normal people thinking normal things are allowing abnormal things to occur in our schools. Uh, it is one of the reasons that I keep saying that the church needs to step up, start new schools that get behind traditional views of the sexes. All right, we continue as we move into the uh, final half hour of live programming. Uh, if you missed Carl Kimball with me in the first hour, it was a great hour. We talked about the impeachment. You'll hear a lot of things that uh, you're not hearing out in mainstream media. We've been trying to keep you up to date on all of that. So uh, just, uh, you know, stay with us. Don't go anywhere. There's good stuff between 5 and 6 tomorrow. I do believe Matt Smith will be around. Uh, we're going to have a couple other people join us tomorrow as well. I think one uh, will be talking about, um, you know, Medicare and uh, health care and things of that nature. Pat Davis will be around to talk about that. A lot of you have taken the time out to call him, saved yourself a whole lot of money, and you want to take a look uh, into that as uh, well. So, uh a lot of celebrities, by the way, laughing at the latest Democrat debate. Last night's debate was not a bright spot for the Democrat candidates. I, I, ho- I hope you heard last hour. I'm not going to go back and play a lot of the stuff that Warren and Sanders and Booker uh, and Harris and all of them said. Just tell you. It was ridiculous. In fact, it, for the Democrats, I think it was it was really um, embarrassing. So after a day of impeachment hearings, all eyes in Hollywood seem to be focused on the latest debate between the current crop of Democrats vying for the 2020 nomination against President Donald Trump. Ten of the top Democratic presidential candidates for 2020 took the stage for the fifth time on Wednesday to duke it out. Uh, in this debate before the new year. And uh, know that we're just uh, weeks away from the first primary in Iowa. That's just down the road. We're not that far from it uh, at all. Those who managed to qualify for MSNBC's all-female panel debate were Amy Klobuchar, Cory Booker, Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, Joe Biden, Andrew Yang, Tulsi Gabbard, and, of course, Tom Steyer. 
outspoken celebrities took to Twitter in real time to share their thoughts on how everyone performed. So let's just run down some of these celebrities and what they had to say. Comedian Sarah Silverman kicked things off with a joke about new poll frontrunner Buttigieg. She wrote, Mayor Pete would look so hot with a mustache. Oh, crap. Is that okay to say? I say it with total respect for his mind. Hashtag Dem debate. Of course, that's a takeoff on, you know, the, the whole thing about gay men having mustaches. So just so you know, she she made a gay joke. I haven't heard a whole lot of backlash against her. Now, I'm going to tell you what, if that was uh, Dennis Miller or somebody like that who said that, there'd be all kinds of hell to pay. Uh, Actress Jane Lynch. Jane Lynch, of course, you remember her on, uh, uh, what was that called, Glee here recently, Uh, commented on the somewhat uneventful night by mentioning the setting, Terry uh, Perry Studio in Atlanta, Uh, Tweeps, I'm a superficial person, and the lady's makeup is very good tonight, she wrote. And how about that lighting? That was was her takeaway from the debate, all right? Not strong about the candidates at all. Uh, That Manchurian candidate at Tulsi Gabbard is on that debate stage, and Julian Castro isn't uh, making my want to flip tables. That's it. That's the tweet. Dim debate, wrote actress Yvette Nicole Brown. Then you had uh, Steyer, uh, folks talking about him. This is from Wanda Sykes. Uh, I'll do some self-censorship uh, if necessary. Damn, Steyer needs to take one of his millions and invest in his teeth. Ask Joe who did his new choppers. Dim debate, Wanda Sykes. George Taki, sarcastic message from him. Tulsi, do you know what else aloha means? It also means goodbye. That's pretty star- sarcastic from George Taki. Uh, the mass singer, comedian Billy Eichner, had this to say. There is no doubt in my mind that Tulsi Gabbard would join the mass singer. That was his take on it. So that's just some of the uh, celebrities. And by the way, did you notice that none of them are important celebrities? Did you notice that, uh, Zach? Yeah. Not very big celebrities there, huh? But um, I think I read somewhere that Tulsa Gabbard said something about the party last night. I don't know if she did or it was about... About the Democrats, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, she did say, I, I had it, I didn't play it. Let me find it. I've got it in my list of stuff. She, you know, if you're trying to get people from your party to vote for you, you might want to say something positive uh, about your own party. And she made the statement that, uh, where is it? I have it here somewhere. I'm, I'm looking for it. Uh, where is it? I just didn't play it because I didn't think it was one of the, the really good pieces for everybody to hear. Well, if you're a Democrat, you probably hated it. Uh, She just made the statement that the Democrat Party was by the people and for the people, but not now. 
That's what basically I'm now. I'm paraphrasing that. I like to always play what they really said, but that's kind of how she was paraphrasing it, to be honest with you. So that's just for you to, to know. And, and that didn't that didn't endear her, did not endear her in any way, shape, or form uh, with people who are just sold out on the Democrat Party. Look, I mean, Gabbard is only saying what, uh, you know, Sanders said four years ago with uh, Hillary. And that is that a lot of this stuff is already foreordained before you go through all of these uh, different debates and things of that nature. So I don't think that she's wrong, to be honest with you. In fact, I think that she's probably uh, right about what's going through it. Uh, you got Democrats now claiming that Trump betrayed his oath of office and that could create corrupt standards for future presidents. I don't think I would agree with that, but that's, that's, what, that's what they think, at least. That's what they're saying. The, uh, we go back to the big stories that are out there uh, right now. Uh, Megan McCain said that Behar and the media are naive. And she, told, she gave him a moment of truth today. Uh, if they're thinking the hearings are going to bring down uh, President Trump, the uh, View had this fiery clash between Megan McCain and Joy Bayar over the ongoing impeachment inquiry with the conservative host unloaded on her liberal colleague and the mainstream media, calling them naive if they thought the hearings would have a negative impact on President Trump. Wednesday's testimony of U.S. Ambassador to the European Union, Gordon Sondland, made explosive headlines when he declared Trump had directed what he himself described as a quid pro quo, even though he later clarified that he had no direct knowledge that the withholding of military aid to Ukraine was tied to Trump's desired investigations into Burisma and Ukraine's involvement in the 2016 election. So he was just saying things to be saying things. Like he said, the uh, Vice President Pence came out and said that he— had talked to him about all of this, was totally fabricated. They could prove by going back to the calendar that he never met with the, the vice president, that Sondland was lying through his teeth in the afternoon trying to uh, basically uh, protect himself and, and his testimony. Uh, during the panel discussion, McCain threw a wet blanket on the cast of characters from the impeachment hearings and what she predicted would have a minimal impact on the 2020 election. One of the things that I pride myself in is that we can't get too sucked into the beltway in the media circles, McCain said. What I saw last night on the debate stage is not going to be good enough to beat Trump. You all are very, very convinced. He's crazy. He's whatever. He's always been crazy, like a fox. I knew he was going to win in 2016, and I'm telling you right now, if you think this impeachment hearing and everything with Sunland and the 30,000 cast of characters, which, by the way, every day is ticking lower and lower on ratings, if you think this is enough to have it locked and loaded, you are naive. You know what I would like to see Behar reacted? I'd like to see these people answer to the subpoenas. Giuliani, Mulvaney, Bolton. Pompeo, 
You're not listening to what I'm saying, McCain shouted. You're not listening to what I'm saying. I am listening to you, Behar said. What I'm saying, there's more to come. McCain doubled down, warning her liberal co-host, Do you know what matters? It's called the Electoral College, which is what you all should be focusing on right now, and you're not. Which was created to save slave states, Behar shot back. False, by the way. False. Oh, for God's sakes, McCain said as the show cut to commercial. That's, that's, that's just BS right there that Behar wants to throw out there. She, they throw out things that are absolutely false, just knowing that a certain minority of people are going to believe it and uh, say, well, of course, that's, that's the truth right there when it has nothing to do with the truth. That's why you need to do your own historical, you know, reconnoitering. You got to go out and study. You got to go out and read about all of this. And you'd find out that whole thing about the slave states. That's been brought up by some people in the North for years, years. And by the way, it came with the beginning of the country in and of itself. With that said, a break Come back for the final segment here on the Dave Ellswick Show. A little news about movies like Jim Carrey. He might have a, another winner on his, uh, you know, on, on, on his career. But then again, maybe not. We'll talk about it when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you. Talking about uh, little movies for you, give you something maybe to smile about, maybe not to smile about. Dumb or Dumber, Dumb and Dumber, was a great movie. I mean, one of my favorite scenes is in that movie is when they're riding across the mountains in the cold and they show up in town and all the snot running out of their noses is frozen to their faces. It's a hilarious scene, as is... Uh, Jeff Daniels, right, was in that movie, having a uh, a BM that he couldn't flush. Another great scene in, in that movie. It was, a, it was a funny, funny movie. Then they did Dumb and Dumber 2. Not so funny. Not at all successful at the box office. So just because you do a sequel does not necessarily mean it's going to be as popular as the original. Thus, I bring you this story. There are rumors right now, Warner Brothers and, uh, and uh, New Line Pictures are looking to bring back, he hasn't signed on yet, so don't get excited, Jim Carrey for The Mask 2. Okay, so now we're talking, if I'm correct... That movie came out in, what, 94? 94. Okay, that means it's 14 years back, 15 years. Uh, 25 years. 25 years, Mm -hmm. pardon me. With that in mind, how many people even know what the movie The Mask was? That's one of my all-time favorite movies right there. Okay. That's a guilty pleasure when I was a kid. It is a good movie. Yes. if it featured a female actress it did. in it as well, and it was her first movie. Yes. Remember who it was? Mm-hmm. It was Cameron Diaz. Yeah, Cameron Diaz. Mm-hmm. 
Now, here's the key. They haven't said, number one, if they've got Kerry on board, and nobody else is going to pull that part off but Jim Kerry. And they haven't said whether they have Cameron Diaz signed on to it as well. And how many people really even remember right. the movie? Mm-hmm. So you do The Mask 2 and you think, well, people remember that movie. Can I say to you there's been countless other films just recently. We had Charlie's Angels rebooted again. And it to say that it crashed and burned is an understatement. It, it made less than $9 million. And did you see Elizabeth Banks' statement? Oh, about here's what I thought. Well, women's uh, action movies never do well. Well, what about Wonder Woman? What about Captain Marvel? And and she goes in this whole thing how those are guy movies, and so they show up even if it is a girl playing the hero. Say what? Yeah, that's what she said. Not making it up. It's what she said. <laughs> so we'll just have to keep our eyes open, Zach, because something tells me this smells like like bad doo-doo. If they make this movie, well, see, when I was, if you asked me the question, who was your favorite actor when you, when I was a kid, if you were to ask me about ten years ago or maybe fifteen years ago, I would have said Jim Carrey. Uh huh. Because I mean, I just loved all Jim Carrey movies, and I mean, the guy was funny. I mean, the, I mean, he did two great movies, Ace Ventura, and both of them were good. Yeah, they were both good. But remember, they did a sequel within a year and a half. They didn't wait 25 years to do the newest Ace Ventura because I don't think Ace Ventura would play now. I mean, you would really have to to change the uh, uh, the the script and make it today and not like it was then. I mean, because doing Mr. Butt now, nobody would think that that's over the top at all you know it's been a long time since i've seen those movies wow you think the things that they did in their day were very very uh you know over the top not now they're not over the top now i mean it's just just not there now i'll tell you something i am excited about and i'm trying to bring up the story See if I can get it up here for myself. Here it is. All right. Star Trek Four, now in the works at Paramount Pictures with Legion and Fargo creator Noah Hawley in final talks to write and direct the project. He will also produce under his 26 Keys banner alongside J.J. Abrams for Bad Robot. No information has been revealed about its potential plot, but the movie will be the fourth installment of the Star Trek reboot series launched by Abrams back in 2009. This will also be the first foray into the popular sci-fi franchise for Noah Hawley, as Abrams and Justin Lin helped the previous three uh, entries in the series. Franchise star Chris Pine is also expected to return to reprise the, uh, reprise the role of Captain Kirk alongside other castmates such as Zachary Quinto, Zoe Dadana as Yahura, Simon Pegg as Scotty, Carl Urban as McCoy, and John Chow as uh, Sulu. Because Anton Yelich 
uh, tragedy passed away in 2016, Chekhov will definitely not appear in the movie. You know, you brought up um, Carl Urban. I want to see Dread too. Too, I would I like to see two. it. Yeah, he did. He was great as Judge. He was better than Stallone. Come yes, on. and that was the first time I actually saw Cersei from Game of Thrones. Yeah, she played Maw Maw. I was like, wait, you go back and watch that movie because it's from 2014, if I'm correct. That's I was like, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm just telling you. Now, see that that's one that you could do because it's not that far back. Exactly. Okay. It's when you it's when you start when you hit the twenty year fifteen twenty year mark, you're getting into a new generation, and that movie better be as well known by the generation of today as the generation who saw it when it was released. Exactly. Star Trek can do that. Yeah, it's been around. Like you said, we've got we've had three movies with J.J. Abrams and Lynn. Really uh, good movies. Two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. You know, Cumberbach and a lot of different people have played in them, and they've been very, very good. In fact, who was the uh, actress in the last movie that had the, uh, her makeup was the uh, black and white stripes? Yeah, I'm trying to think of her name right now. I mean, she's, she's gone on to be a huge star now. She's related to, um, gosh, what is his name? I'm going to look her I know exactly who we're talking about. Okay, he'll bring that up before we get out of here. We just got a minute to go. But I just thought you'd like to hear that. And, you know, I think I'm going to bring this up with Matt tomorrow. How do you know uh, a, a movie that you're going to reboot is going to do well? See, I, I, I don't think The Mask 2 is going to be the big box office hit. A lot of people think it will be, just like a lot of people thought that the new Charlie's Angels was going to be good and i could tell you right from the word go it was not going to be because the reboots that were done had pretty strong actresses in them uh with uh you know you had what um lucy uh, Liu and 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 other people that was uh, cameron diaz was in it who was uh drew barrymore was in it that that was your angels Exactly. That's the one I remember. That's the one, you know, I cherish. And they were good. Yes. They were good movies. But people went to see them because they had actresses in them that people identified with. Yeah, I know Kristen Stewart was in this movie. What has she done really in a big tent pole movie since Twilight? Yeah, she was the comedy Nothing. relief. She was the comedy relief. Because I've seen the movie. She was the comedy relief. Oh, you relief saw it? Yeah, sadly, I saw it. You wasted two hours of your life, huh? I won't say I wasted, but it was close enough. It was just, it was just <laughs> not my gosh. And you know what? It's it's like Melissa McCarthy, all right, doing her thing. When you become the writer, the director, and the star in the movie, that's a uh, that's a that's one of those big projects that you do that you should just stay away from. Talk to you tomorrow, two o'clock here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.